Welcome to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. WellMed Radio will educate you on health and wellness for seniors and their families throughout Central Texas. During the next hour, your hosts, Ron Aaron and Dr. Robin Eikhoff, will share information that will improve your health and wellness. Now, here's Ron Aaron and Dr. Robin Eikhoff. Well, thank you very much and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host, Dr. Robin Eikhoff. Dr. Eikhoff, a WellMed medical director, does a lot of training for new and uh, continuing WellMed providers and nurse practitioners and others. She also is a WellMed physician in the WellMed clinic and the Med Center, graduate of Tulane University Medical School, where my orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Uva Pontius, went as a place kicker. Yes. Straight ahead place kicker like Lou Groza, who used to kick for the Cleveland Browns way back. Way back. And he had the record of the longest field goal in Tulane's history, did, did Dr. Pontius. I, I think I'd heard that, but yeah. I'd forgotten. Yeah, he's a cool guy. But he's not touching my knee yet. Not yet. Nobody dies from knee pain. Really? Really. Because there are days when I wonder. No, nope, you won't die. Oh, good. Just limp. But chronic pain can affect a lot of things, you know. Right, which brings us to the question of a lot of people self-medicating with alcohol and prescription drugs. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, aging, with aging just comes a certain amount of pain. It, it, I think I've just decided that I think that's part of, you know, whether it's arthritis or whatever. But um, well, last week you told us we need to get used to a little pain. We're, yeah. We well, want- I said I said that uh, I think that we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's OK to be uncomfortable. That's not I didn't necessarily say you had to, you know. Anyway, I don't want anybody to have to live with a lot of pain, right. but, but you know what? I get out of bed in the morning, and I'm stiff, and I'm, my joints hurt a little bit, and then I get moving, and I'm okay. And some people get out of bed, and their joints are stiff, and they you know, hurt all day in certain places. And you know, that's just sort of uh, an unfortunate part of aging, but it is what it is. And um, what we don't want to do is give a whole bunch of pain medicines or a whole bunch of drugs to try to cover up something that is not you know you can only cover it up so much and but yes people do self-medicate and sometimes they just self-medicate with over-the-counter medications which I think that people feel like if they if they're available over the counter then they must be safe which is not always true especially as you get older and uh, and then there are folks who self-medicate with alcohol usually the self-medicating with alcohol is um that's a self-medication of a different kind of pain. Emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's more depression, that sort of um, that sort of pain, psychological pain. But alcohol is a depressant. It is. Yeah. People don't realize that it just makes it worse. But it takes away, you know, you drink enough and you don't care. Wow. In your patient population among seniors, uh, we know that there's a growing number of especially males who become alcohol addicted. Yes. Yes. Well, there are a lot of, um, so there's a lot of seniors who, you know, that generation really drank a lot. It was very much part of the culture. Um, what was that television show that was on for so long? Um, you know, where, oh, it was the advertising agency and they always had drinks or something. I don't know. I didn't really watch much of it. But anyway, that generation, you know, you came home from work every night, you had a scotch or you had two scotches and that was pretty typical. And my dad came home and he had uh, two fingers of scotch. Yep. There you go. And you have um, Big Bang Theory. Is that what it was called? No. Um, <laughs> Roland's looking it up, but yes, I'm, thank uh, God for Roland. I'm thinking, what was the name of that thing? Okay. Anyway, um, but you know... The one, you know, one scotch becomes a second scotch, which maybe becomes a third scotch. And of course, you know, back in the Leave it to Beaver days, not that you ever saw Mrs. Beaver giving Mr. Beaver a drink, but, you know, mom stayed home, took care of the kids. She was the housewife, you know, homemaker um, and had a drink waiting for her husband when she when he got home. And so that was very much a part of the culture. And I think that a lot of those folks. Mad men. Mad Men, there it is. Um, is the movie that's or the, the TV television series, show. Mm-hmm. Right. But a lot of those folks then would um, just continue to drink in their senior years. But, of course, when you start getting having other health problems and when you start being on medications, that alcohol 
is certainly when you get older, the alcohol isn't processed the same in your liver. And when you take medications, there can be a lot of interactions. So it, it really can be a double whammy. I am old enough to have seen the change from alcohol was everywhere to much less alcohol. When I was a kid growing up, if my folks had people over to the house, uh, the bar was always set up and uh, everybody would have a drink yeah. or two or three. Oh, yeah. Uh, and today, uh, while if you have a party, often you'll put out you know, some alcohol, maybe some wine, uh, you you end up using a lot less because people, on average, seem to be drinking less. Which I think is a really good thing, and I think that it's a um, that's a culture change that I think is welcome. All alcohol is not bad. I mean, there have been some good studies that show that there is some benefit to alcohol. The problem is is that they're looking at 30-year-old men in these studies, right? Most of these studies don't include women, and they don't include seniors, um, and they certainly don't include pregnant women. So... The, the issue is, right, as you get older, you do not process the alcohol the same. You process it much, much slower. Um, so, you know, one, one or two fingers of scotch, right, it takes your body a lot longer to process it than it used to. Plus, you're dealing with, again, other medications. So if, if you've got somebody who's on a medication that is um, broken down in the liver, and they're also drinking alcohol, which is also broken down in the liver. Now you've got a double whammy on the liver. So, um, you know, is there some benefit? Sure, there's some benefit. Um, most of the studies have been done with wine, but I, I think those that have stretched out to other forms of alcohol have said yes. The problem is that, again, it doesn't look at it seniors. It also doesn't look at, um, well, it does. It looks at the amount but most people don't measure the amount out, right? So when they're looking at a glass of wine, it's a four-ounce glass of wine. I don't remember the last time I poured myself a four-ounce glass of wine, right? I mean, that's a half a cup. That ain't much. And you look how big wine glasses are. Oh, my goodness. It's gotten out of control, right? Um, but, you know, it, it's not unusual when you go to a restaurant. It's a six-ounce pour or a five-ounce pour. Um, but all the studies are done with four and five-ounce and usually, and for women, it's one. You know, they say, okay, one is okay. Men, it's two. But not too many people go out and just have one glass of wine. It's hard. It's hard to do because, you know, you drink one glass of wine and then you're like, wow, that was really good. Yeah, my defenses are kind of down. I think I'll have another glass of wine. You've just joined us. This is not an AA meeting. We're talking on WellMed Radio with Dr. Robin Eikoff. I'm Ron Aaron about alcohol, medicines, and seniors. WellMed Radio comes to you on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Sundays at 5 p.m. It's clear that there uh, are some ways in which alcohol and medications don't mix well. As a physician, when you prescribe medication, Mm -hmm. uh, are you able to talk to your patients, especially if you suspect they're drinking uh, about those meds and alcohol? Yeah, I mean, you do try to do that as much as you can. There are certain medications that we know interact poorly with alcohol. Um, blood thinners in general don't do well with alcohol. Um, but, and there's another medicine called, um, flagell. That's the, that's the trade name. I, uh, I can't, I can't think of the generic name off the top of my head. It starts with an M, uh, metronidazole, metronidazole. And, um, that one actually has a very violent reaction. What is metronidazole? Flagell. I mean, what, is, what do you? <laughs> gotcha. Um, oh, yeah, it it's good. actually an antibiotic uh, okay. that um, is used to treat um, paras- certain parasites. Like malaria. Yeah, it can also treat some GI bugs and people oh. who have a colitis or a C. difficile. I actually took it. Mm-hmm. When I was slammed with C. Diff a few years there ago, there you go. Yeah, I took metronidazole. Yeah, it gives you a metallic yeah. taste in your mouth. That's one. Of the I other just wanted side to get effects. rid of what I had. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, that was not fun. But but anyway, so 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 some medicines. The, the problem is right is um, many patients or many people who drink more than a couple drinks, um, they don't really recognize that as being problematic. So they don't bring it up to their provider. And I guarantee you that when I ask or my staff asks about alcohol intake. Um, 
They lie. Of course they lie. And and, the, and usually it's about 50% of what they're actually drinking. Really? Mm-hmm. So that's part of the training is is we just assume that it's actually twice. So you double whatever I, they say. No, I still write down what they say, but we all accept the fact that it's probably less. I mean, if somebody says, I don't drink any alcohol, we don't say, oh, well, you drink two. They, they, they probably don't drink. But in somebody who says, oh, I just have, you know, three or four beers a night, okay. It's probably more like a six-pack a night, but... You know, we don't we don't write it down that way because you don't want to confront them. Well, it's not that it's just that, you know, what if you do have a patient that's telling the truth? And that can occur. So you when you read the note, you want to know what the patient said to you. You right. don't want to know what you're you know, you don't want to interpret it. But anyway, it, but the truth is, is that, you know, most people realize that more than a couple of drinks a day might not be good for their health so they hide it especially if they're drinking four or five and i've got patients that have done that you know they'll drink four or five scotches a night and finally the spouse will tell me that and you know and then you're like ay 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 and then you know and then the conversation's hard to have because then the spouse always says well don't tell him i told you wow yeah so it's a it's a struggle it can be a real struggle but um i don't drink as you know but by choice i could if i wanted and what I find interesting... How many times have we heard that, Roland, on this show? I could if I wanted. Yeah, a lot. A what lot. I find interesting The is entire San Antonio community knows you don't drink, Ron. Maybe I should start. By choice, by the way. By choice. Yes, by choice. Well, I, I feel obliged to say that. I know. Because you don't want people to think that you're a recovering yeah. alcoholic. But I'm not. But I would tell you maybe, that maybe to I be a recovering be. alcoholic yeah. is something to be unbelievably proud of. Well, um, of course. I can't even imagine... No, you know, I have friends who are. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've seen the There's coins no they get. There's no shame in that. Yeah. No, there is no shame. Uh, but what I was going to say is going to a reception or a party or a dinner, uh, watching what alcohol does to people mm-hmm. as they begin to imbibe uh, is an amazing sociological study. In, it's actually somewhat entertaining at times, isn't it? Can it can be entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It can be frightening, too, but entertaining. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, uh, you know, I work out at the at the CrossFit gym. and I've never heard that before. Ha. <laughs> And so there's a lot of younger people. and Younger than 50? Oh, in their 20s. Wow. And so, you know, <laughs> I've had a numerous gatherings at my house, either for the holidays or for a three-day weekend or whatever. And, um, and there, there's usually some imbibing that goes on. Um, usually it's just beer or something. But sometimes people bring... Anyway, it's kind of funny to watch some of these young folks as they continue to drink and, and just get stupid. And just get, you know, ridiculous. And, and you just think, God, do you guys do this every weekend? I mean, doesn't that hurt? Some do. I mean, it's just miserable. I mean, I drink, I can, I now, because I haven't been drinking a lot, I can drink one glass of wine and I'm feeling it, I'm feeling pretty good, you know. Um, but if I, and if I drink much more than that, I've got a pretty nasty headache in the morning and it just isn't worth that anymore to me. It just isn't, I just can't, I don't care how much water I drink while I'm drinking that glass of wine or two glasses of wine. I just, it's not worth it. I don't sleep well, but you know, everybody's different and I don't have that tolerance, but, um, but alcohol can really be problematic if people don't really watch how much they're drinking and, and don't share with their provider, you know, what else, what they're doing and, and, and what their meds they're taking. This is a great uh, sign that the uh, Department of Transportation puts up on those reader boards on Loop 410. Uh, buzzed driving is drunk driving. Yeah, true. Absolutely true. I just heard on the news, uh, or I saw on the news about somebody who was um, killed. You know, he was driving drunk and killed someone while they were driving. Wow. It just breaks your heart. Oh, it does. It does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't get it back. Mm-mm. No. And I, and I you know, it, it's tragic, obviously, the person that's killed. But I also have a fair amount of... of sadness for the person that did that because they can't that you can't take that back they have to live with that for the rest of their lives and it's not that these people don't care it's that they have a true disease right which can be treated yeah and not everybody that drives drunk has alcoholism sometimes they're just not very bright and make bad decisions they overdrank at a party mm-hmm. or what have you. and why they're not using uber or uh, lyft is beyond me they're here they work they're awesome in the category of i may have mentioned this before uh, the only time that I can recall driving uh, after imbibing too much uh, was years ago in Washington, D.C., and when I woke up the next morning, my car was parked in the middle of my lawn uh, in a snowstorm, <laughs> which I did not remember. Of course not. And I'd been at a party maybe three blocks from the house. Wow. 
Yeah, last time I ever did that. You were within walking distance. Well, I was, but it was stormy. You didn't want to walk. It was Hmm. snowing and windy and cold and icy. I've never lived in that kind of an environment, so I don't know what that's like. You don't know what you're missing. I bet I do. (laughs) I like that. I bet I do. Yeah. So if you are thinking about uh, the challenges faced with alcohol and medicines, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the way they don't mix. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM. The answer yeah, right in the middle of the lawn. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Robin Eikoff. Carol Zornio, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS On Air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving right here on KLUP. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. This is Sam Donaldson. Fifty years in the news business taught me that each day brings a new story. Retirement is just the beginning of a lifelong adventure if we keep learning, stay active, and give back. All secrets to healthy aging. That's what Oasis is about. Explore our history. Take a fitness class. Tutor a child. It's your time to try something new at Oasis. Call 210-236-5954 or oasisnet.org forward slash San Antonio. Well, you found us. WellMed Radio at 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Robin Eikoff. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, email us at radio at wellmed.net. Tell us what you'd like to hear. Maybe you've got a suggestion for a topic, and we will be happy to explore that. WellMed Radio, here for you, providing uh, information on the various challenges faced by uh, an aging population and their loved ones. We're talking this hour with Dr. Robin Eikoff about alcohol and medicines and a guide to aging. And you have mentioned uh, on on several occasions, uh, Dr. Eikhoff, that as we age, the way we process medicines changes dramatically. Benadryl would be a really good example. As something, as you age, you probably should think twice about taking. Yeah, the, you know, the Benadryl, we do process it probably a little bit slower. Your body doesn't have the ability to break it down as fast. But the biggest issue with, with Benadryl and some of the other antihistamines, um, like Dramamine and um, what's the other one? Um, bonine. What is it? B-O-N-N-I-N-E, Bonin. Never heard of that one before. It's like Dramamine. Just um, uh, Travist, I think. Tavist is one of the ones I was thinking. Anyway, is they can cause urinary retention. It's much more likely to happen in a senior. So and we what, don't, does, what does that mean? You're not uh, that means expressing... You can't, you can't go to the bathroom. Um, it just blocks up. And it's more common in men, but it can block huh. up the ability to pass urine. That has and to be of course, It can be if it goes on too long. Ooh. And the other thing is, is that with, you know, any of us who have taken Benadryl before we go to bed at night and get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, we're a little bit woozy. So it increases your fall risk, especially in seniors. So the best thing is to avoid it. Yeah, I mean, if you can. I mean, there's times when, you know, maybe your allergies are just absolutely horrible or you need something to really dry you out. Um, I think Benadryl could be helpful with that. But um, I'd be very careful and go over any of your over-the-counter medicines with your provider. And mixing something like uh, Benadryl or Valium or uh, which seniors don't take very much either Anymore. with alcohol. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Not only are those two things both sedating, both increase fall risks, both eliminated through the liver, um, but they do what's called potentiate each other. So that means that if you take alcohol in and you take a Valium, it makes both of them stronger. Really? Really. Yeah. Yep. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. And more so with the Valium. So the alcohol potentiates the effect, not effectiveness because it's not a good thing, um, but it affects the potency of the, of the Valium. So, you know, and that should not be a reason to go like, woohoo, let me do the Valium with the alcohol. Because one of the side effects of both of those things is a decreased um, 
so it your it it decreases your respiratory response, and so that means that uh, I may not take as deep of breaths, or it knocks out my ability to detect when I need to take a breath. So if you take too much of that, you can actually just stop breathing. Morphine will do the same and thing. And if you're so sleepy that your body can't wake itself up because of the drugs and because of the alcohol, you could die. You suffocate and don't know it. Yeah. Really? Really, if you're going to suffocate, that's probably a way to do it. But, you know, when you don't know it. But, um, but yeah, no, that's, but that's exactly right. And so, um, huh. yeah, uh, opiates in general knock out the breathing. Um, so your, your brain actually tells itself to breathe, right, to take a breath based on the amount of carbon dioxide, not the amount of oxygen, but the amount of carbon dioxide. So it's the level of carbon dioxide that drives how much you're breathing or how fast you breathe. But if you um, don't have the ability to take a faster breath when your carbon dioxide levels go up, then you can suffer. And if you don't die, what's left may not be ideal. So the interesting thing about that is... uh we obviously don't consciously breathe. It's an autonomic response. You, you breathe because you need the oxygen. Your brain says breathe, but we don't control that. No, but it's the the little responders that tell the brain, hey, you know, you need to go ahead and make this person breathe is the level of carbon dioxide right. in your blood, not the level of right. oxygen, which is why when you were a kid and you took 10 deep breaths, really deep breaths and blew them all the way out and 10 deep, another deep breath and blew it all the way you out, pass out, you pass out because you actually get rid of all your CO2 and the brain goes, oh, we don't have to breathe. We're done. <laughs> Bonk. Out and you go. Kids do that. I know. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> you did that. I did do that when wow. I was a kid. Just once. Just once? Yeah. And actually, I don't, I, I, you know, I'm pretty, I was a pretty straight-laced kid, so I didn't really do crazy stuff like that. I think I just got dizzy. We tell our kids there's nothing they can do that we haven't already done. You hope. Yes, thank you. I mean, yeah, you were a child. Because they'll invent of, new stuff. You were a child of the 60s, right? No, I was older in the 60s. Uh, well, Gina was. Yeah. No, Gina, Gina's yeah. my. Well, she, Gina? Was, she was born in 63. Well, she's not that much younger yeah. than, or older than I am. Just a few years. Yeah. So uh, I was a product really growing up in the 50s, 40s, 50s. And we, we didn't do much at all. No. No, we, we didn't. We were just good kids. Hmm. You don't believe that. I don't. I think yeah. you pushed the envelope a little no, bit. No, I didn't as a kid. Really? Yeah. Oh. I really didn't. That surprises me. Maybe I should have. And then we went to a wonderful concert the other night uh, done by- Yosa, uh, right? Yosa, Youth Orchestra San Antonio. Uh, Purple Rain Live, uh, that album by Prince, uh, and I didn't, I, the only song I'd ever heard was Purple Rain because I missed the 80s music-wise. I was working. Isn't When Doves Cry from that album too? Yeah. Yeah. yeah great music. Prince was an amazing artist. Unbelievably talented. Again, sad he overdosed on narcotics. He did. He did. Yeah. And they knew it. I mean, he... Well, I mean, he'd just been, didn't he, hadn't he just been released from rehab or something? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. somebody gave him those. Or he bought him on the street. Who knows? Well, that's possible, too. But somebody got him for him. I would think it'd be tough for him to go out on the street. People would, would have recognized him. Mm. A friend that's of mine told me a point. very funny story. Bob Webster, who owns Shades of Green on Sunset in, in Alamo Heights, a wonderful nursery, uh, not a paid spot, just a really neat nursery. He said that Pop comes in there a lot and always has a shirt collar up, head down, so that people don't recognize him because... He can't go anywhere without people stopping and talking to him. So he goes there because... And telling him how to coach? Well, yeah, because it's very peaceful and relaxing. So Pop said he'll see him in there, and he just kind of avoids him because he doesn't want people to come up to him. Yeah, wow. And, and that would be the same problem. If Prince had gone anywhere, oh, I, Let's anywhere. face it, that guy's got peeps. Yeah. He had peeps. Oh, Sure, he had peeps, peeps that went out there and bought stuff. that for You're him. probably right. Yeah, it was just sad. I'm so you naive. know, it's sad. Such an amazing... You know, artist and talent. But, you know, um, we uh, w somewhere along the line, I'm going to guess he was prescribed medication. I think he had had disc problems or back. I can't remember why they said he was on pain meds. But um, somewhere along the line, we sort of started it right as as the medical profession. We give folks medicines to try to help combat their pain because it hurts us to see people in pain. Um, but then, you, you know, I don't know where... I don't know that you can always see where someone tr goes from, 
you know, truly treating their pain to a, an a, there's abuse. There's a threshold. Or, yeah. And I don't know that there's an easy way to tell. And you worry about doctor shopping. Uh, you were mm-hmm. telling me a story about uh, a patient who uh, uh, called different doctors in your office trying to get a prescription filled uh, for uh, for an opiate. Yeah. Uh, and uh, unfortunately for the patient, you all talk to each other. Well, and not, you know... <laughs> Not very bright, right? Because, of course, we're all on the same medical record, so it's very easy to pull that up. And we don't prescribe uh, we don't prescribe narcotics or controlled substances on call after hours um, because of that reason, because you don't always have access to the medical record. We, we can, but you have to take your computer home every day and that sort of thing, so you don't always have the access for that. But the, um, the ultimately, right, the... The person who, you know, goes to different doctors within the same group, of course, we're going to talk. Right. And we trust me, just like, you know, you tell your kids anything. We've done it all. Right. Um, we've heard just about any excuse you could possibly have for needing your pain medicine refilled early. Uh, trust me. I've heard it. I've heard it. And it still doesn't work. It's funny. I, I felt funny calling the, uh, the pharmacy uh, when I, either I did or, or Gina spilled the uh, medicine, the amoxicillin that our kids were on at one point, spilled the whole bottle. And I felt guilty calling and saying, you know, I spilled this. Can I get a new one? But no one is abusing Yeah, uh, nobody abuses penicillin. the antibiotics. Right. Yeah. So they refilled If they it. do, they get yeah. diarrhea. Oh. That's a bad outcome, right? No. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, and, you know, the other thing is, is that in the state of Texas, we've gotten very good about Every provider who has a DEA number, which is the number we have to have, uh, it's an individual number that each prescriber is given that allows us to prescribe controlled substances. So we have, in, with that number, uh, we have the ability to look up on the DEA website um, a patient and what they have filled and where in terms of uh, chronic uh, or in terms of opioid or controlled substances. So when I go to fill a medicine for a patient, I can go on that site and frequently do go on that site and look to see if they've gotten that prescription filled by any other provider. Oh. And if they have, that's actually grounds to say, I will no longer fill that medicine for you. All of our patients that are on controlled substances have a pain contract uh, or have a controlled substance contract with us, which says you will not get this prescription filled by anyone else. You will go to the same pharmacy. Um, you will not ask for early refills. And if you do any of that and you break this contract, then I can no longer fill that medicine for you. And I, I have unfortunately had to tell patients, really? I can still be your doctor, but you will not be getting those pain medicines oh. from me. You will not be getting those narcotics from me. You will not be getting those controlled substances from me. You know, with insurance coverage, it's very hard to get an early refill on something anyhow. Well, you would if think, you're trying to yeah. use the insurance. Yeah. And, and it's a flag at the pharmacy. And, yeah. and sometimes when a patient goes in early, we'll get a call and say, hey, you know, did you know this patient's getting this medicine filled early? Um, that kind of thing. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten pretty, pretty tight. But, um, you know, and then and then you have folks that and I and I, you know, and I, I'm not trying to diss anybody or get after anybody. But, you know, when I had my shoulder surgery uh, last year, about a, not quite a year and a half ago. Um, when I went in for my preoperative um, appointment, uh, I was given a prescription for uh, hydrocodone. Um, and I got, they gave me like the highest dose and like 120 of them. It's and a lot of hydrocodone. It's a lot of hydrocodone. And I was like, So how much did they bring you on the street? Good Lord, how much, how much pain do you think I'm going to have? And the response was, well, I just don't like to have to refill them. So I probably have a hundred of them in my safe. That brings up a good question because how long do medicines last? How, well, there's a, usually a couple year expiration date, but the expiration date really doesn't seem to correlate with the potency. So the potency lasts a long time. Yeah, I could probably take it five years from now, and I'd still get right. benefit or still get you know uh, results. And uh, so to answer your question, you asked me how much it gets on the street. The last I heard, because I don't know this personally, the last I heard, it's about a dollar a milligram of the hydrocodone. Wow. So a typical five milligram hydrocodone would, why am I even saying this on the radio? I'm just curious. Yeah. So five, it would be five bucks. So in, for the hundred or so that I have left in my thing, and they're tens. Oh. That's like a thousand bucks. Jeez. I know, right? And, and 
I don't know what to do with them. I don't certainly don't need them. How would you dispose of them? Well, what I do, and which is probably not city safe, and I don't recommend anybody do it, but um, I've destroyed medicines by pouring bleach in the bottle, letting the pills themselves dissolve, and then... Um, Put them in the toilet. Or the sink, yeah. You, we don't recommend people do that, right. but uh, I'm on a septic, oh. so it just feeds the plants, and the plants are happy. <laughs> <laughs> feeling no pain but depending on what the medicine is right. yeah i you know i don't i just leave it in my safe because i don't want to have to worry about it um i mean not that i've got people traipsing in and out of my house but i just don't want to have to think about it now we, we know for example at some of the places where seniors gather yeah where they chit chat back and forth uh, one may say to the other you know I, I was taking this medication man it really has been helping me here you want to try some right yep, yep. you've heard of that i have What's and the then downside? I scold them and tell them don't do that, right? Um, because you don't know you might you know innocently be giving it to someone, and maybe there's a horrible interaction between a medicine that they're on, and and you wouldn't know, and and unless yeah, unless you're somebody that goes oh well, what other medications are you you know <laughs> right. you don't hear that like oh here try one of these well what other medications are you on yeah. you know that's just not a good that's not a good combination, and the other thing is is that's your medicine, and so when it goes time for a refill. And your doctor says, well, why are you out of them when you shouldn't be? Oh, well, I shared one with, no, that's not okay. Um, and especially if it's something like a cholesterol drug or, you know, and I get that, well, you know, no, I didn't refill it because my husband had some extras and so I took his. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and from a cost-saving standpoint, I totally get it. I totally get right. it. But, you know, I get graded by Medicare on whether or not a patient fills their cholesterol medicine. That's that's called the medication adherence um, star rating, and that's one of the pay-for-performance quality measures that we are graded on as to whether or not if I prescribe uh, a statin drug to a patient, do they fill it 80% of the time? And if they don't, I... I don't get, I get a bad grade. You get dinged. Yeah, and it's it gets a little bit frustrating. I understand the reasoning behind it because no one has as much influence, I think, over a patient than the provider, right? I mean, I right. if I really feel the patient needs to be on it, I'm going to try to get them to take it. But if they're getting it from somewhere else or um, they've decided they're going to cut it in half or, well, then, then Medicare looks at me like I'm a poor quality doctor. And there's a lot of reasons why, you know, people don't take medicines. Um, and they don't really keep, they can't take that into effect. Um, but at the end of the day, the overall goal, right, is to have patients who take a statin to stay on the statin because they, they're, I mean, those patients that are high risk, it, there is no refuting the evidence that that is a good thing. Now, statins fight cholesterol. Yeah, so statin drugs are the drugs we typically use to lower cholesterol levels. And by low, using that statin drug, we see decreased rates of repeat heart attacks and strokes um, in those patients who have already had them. And um, so we typically or commonly will use it in a patient who's got risk but maybe hasn't had an event yet. The data is not as solid, but it's completely understandable why it would be. And so and especially in someone who's a diabetic, we know that those folks, just having diabetes alone is about the same as having from a cardiovascular standpoint is the same as having had a stroke or a heart attack really mm -hmm. so that's one of the measures also that we graded on is is your is your patient is your diabetic patient one filling their diabetic medicines 80 percent of the time and um, are they on a statin and if they are are they filling it 80 percent of the time now how does uh, medicare know that they're refilling those pharmacy claims because because uh, the pharmacy bills that to Medicare and their Part D. So they keep track. Yeah. So if I give them samples, I, I fail the measure. Oh. Like how that works? Interesting. So guess what we've done? We've pretty much eliminated everything out of our sample closet. We're not I, taking. And I'm actually okay with that because I, I don't actually like getting drugs from the drug reps. Yeah. Samples used to be great. If you can if you can keep someone on the samples for the, as long as they need to be on it, it's great. Right. Otherwise, you're just a prescription drug dealer, right? Here, here, take this. Let me let you try this. I'm going to give it to you for free. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I can't get any more of that. You'll have to pay for it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, how is that different than a street drug dealer? I, I knew a physician who, when patients... Makes you go, hmm, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I knew a physician when patients passed away, 
or no longer needed a medication, he'd ask them to bring those bottles in, and then he would give it out to his patients. Yeah, which is incredibly to save money, but kind. It's and well, and here's the problem: there are now rules and laws. Well. I, I don't know if it's unethical. Oh. I think that it's. I mean, if the family is okay with it, right? They want. That's they true. want to know that they're, the medicine that's not getting used yeah, is Graham being used for someone medicine. else, right? The problem is, right? Someone somewhere got sued, or somewhere someone, you know, oh yeah, I gave you the bottle, but as it turns out, the medicine that was in the bottle isn't what's on the label, and so that was given out, and it was the wrong medicine, and you know, there's no way to quality control that, and so the intent behind it is incredibly awesome. But there's no, yeah. So that's actually wow. a big, 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 big no-no. And is that you know, part of training when you all? Uh, usually, when you work for a company, that's just part of the policies. Yeah. Um, if you're in private practice, you could probably still get away with it. But if there was a bad outcome, I think you'd have no standing. You'd be in big trouble. And it's unfortunate because there's so many medicines that, out there that are very expensive that go to waste right. because right. you can't reshelf them, you can't repurpose them, you can't do any of that stuff. Um, and I, 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 part of me is like, there ought to be a way, you know, because all these pills and capsules, they have serial numbers on them. So you could confirm what's in there, except if it's a capsule, you can't guarantee that there's not arsenic in the capsule that some putts didn't, you know, put something in there that's not supposed to be. So we live in that society. So I'm, I'm certainly not going to give away anybody's medication, um, now I do know providers that will take in like antibiotics that a doc could, that a patient couldn't take and they'll keep a collection of it and, and then either go when they do like missionary work in Honduras or whatever, they'll, they'll take them down there and, and then right. they can use them down there for their, uh, their poverty, poverty stricken, huh. uh, citizens. But, um, again, that can be somewhat challenging too. If you're on a course of antibiotics and you say you need to take this uh, twice a day for 10 days, uh, but you only have seven days worth uh, in, in that scenario, uh, does it still help or is there a risk? It will, but if I enough? give somebody a 10-day, if I tell they need to take them for 10 days, then that means that I believe there's going to be some strong bacteria left at the end of seven. Right. Usually my prescriptions go for five to seven days. Occasionally in somebody who's maybe got uh, what I think is a bad bronchitis or an early pneumonia um, and they've got lung disease, I'll give them 10 days of an antibiotic. But I'm not going to prescribe seven and tell them to take it for 10. Right. That won't work. No. And, and if the, they only get seven from the pharmacy, well, then they need to go back to the pharmacy because they paid for 10. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but um, who counts their meds? Pharmacy's supposed to do no, that. No, no. Yeah. Patients. Oh, well, they should. But yeah, you're right. If you've got a chronic medicine and, um, I and I, you know what? I, I did that actually. I, when I got my, that hydrocodone, um, I emptied the bottle and counted them because I thought that'll be interesting, you know, to see if I didn't get them all. But you did. I did. Huh. HEB Pharmacy was pretty good. After my shoulder surgery, I had, you know, maybe a few hydrocodone. I had never taken it before. Man, did it knock me out. Ooh. You know, it's funny. It didn't really knock oh, me out. I mean, yeah. I, I took it before I went to bed. The first three days, I took it pretty much every eight Because you don't hours. want pain. Well, and they tell you, we don't right. want you to have pain. You right. won't heal as fast. And then I went to um, about every eight to 12 hours. And then after about a week and a half, I just went to at night. Um, because I was back at work in a week with my sling. Really? Yeah, I went back to work. Um, I just didn't want to lay around. I mean, you know. I didn't want to lay around the house. Right. So when I would start to hurt again, I'd, I'd you know, take my ibuprofen, I'd take my um, Tylenol, and then when I'd come home at night and go to bed, I'd take the hydrocodone. And I really only did that for a couple of weeks. That's why I only have. And then I, you know, and then I'd cut it in half. And then, you know, two weeks later, wow. I'm like, yeah, I'll just take ibuprofen. And you went to the gym and did one-handed pull-ups. I did. I did, well, not pull-ups. I did <laughs> one-handed, what they call ring rows. Yeah. But one-handed wall push-ups. And, I'm not uh, surprised. Yeah. But I'm back full strength now. I, I know. I've done pull-ups. Amazing. I know. I did handstand push-ups today. Handstand push-ups? I did, where you, you do a handstand on the wall, and then you uh, slowly lower yourself and push yourself back up. Now, I didn't go all the way to the floor. I can't do that yet. But I Are did you're facing partial. the wall or your your backs to the um, wall? From backs to the wall. Backs to the wall. Yeah. Because Reagan taught herself to do, uh, our five-year-old, to do handstands yeah. by leaning against the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Taught herself that. Excellent. Good, good job. It's interesting. Yeah. She should be a gymnast. 
Uh, we've talked about it. Yeah. We've talked about it. Oh, she gets tired of dance. Well, she's, you know, she's liking ballet, but eh. so far. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Probably not that strict yet. The other day, speaking of kids, we were in a grocery store and Reagan's looking at a bunch of sodas, which we don't have at home. And she didn't say anything. And Gina walked up to her and said, Reagan, those are full of sugar. They will kill you. Oh, my. And Gina walked away. Reagan turned to me and she said, Daddy, she's just saying that so I won't want to drink it. Pretty clever. Yeah, that's not going to last much longer. I mean, the cleverness will, but the, Yeah. yeah. So I have actually started drinking. Well, I drink a lot of mineral water. Yeah. Yeah, I drink a lot of mineral water, but I have started drinking. um, There's a a soda. It's sort of soda. It is. It is. Um, But it is um, dye-free, and it's sweetened with stevia. D-I-E free? It's dye-D-Y-E free. Dye-free. So, like, there's a root beer flavor, and uh, it's clear. (laughs) But I drink maybe one a week um, because it's so sweet that it kind of kills that sweet yeah. tooth for me. So when yeah. I'm really craving something sweet and I don't want to eat a bunch of junk, then I just drink that. And the bubbles kind of help fill me up. And um, But it, I think it's called Zetia. Or Zet, no, that's a drug. Um, <laughs> Zevia. Zevia. That's what it's called because it's like Stevia, but it's Zevia. Zevia. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I'm not advocating for that. No, you're not endorsing. But I, maybe once a week I drink one of those. Really? And the rest of the time I drink mineral water or plain water or hot tea. Those are my beverages of choice. Back to drugs. Oh, while, yeah, drugs. While you have your hydrocodone in your safe at home. Yes. Where's the safe located in Not, your house? No, I oh. don't remember. Oh, okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. Good luck getting into that, my for, friend. For that people. is a huge <laughs> safe. It's actually a, a rifle safe. It's a gun safe. Oh, wow. Yeah. When I sell the house, it will stay. Guns in the safe? Uh, No. Huh. Nope. Our house came with a safe, uh, which we've never used. No? No. No. Why not? I, I don't know. Oh. But we haven't. Okay. If you have old medications lying around, <laughs> what, what do you recommend you do with them? You really don't want to put them down the toilet. Um, Saws yeah. does not no. like that. No, 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 no. No, do not do system. that. Do not do that. I, um, what I would do is I would check with the pharmacy and see if they have a disposal program. Oh. Um, sometimes pharmacies will have that or they might, and sometimes they'll have it like once a month, they'll have a day where they accept old drugs, things like that. And if you bring them in, they get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And they're destroyed. They're usually, I think they're burned, to be honest. Really? Mm-hmm. They're not sending them to some third world nation. No, and we used to accept them at the clinic, but then um, Joint Commission uh, certification came through and they said we can't do that anymore. So I don't know what patients are supposed to do. Interesting. Yeah. It's like recycling in terms of papers and what have you. Get it shredded. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different things I think you can do. It's just, if you, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the right answer to that. I mean, you should destroy them, but then what do you do with the remaining? I guess, you know, if you were to put just a little bit of bleach in there, enough to just make it a sludge, you could just throw it in your trash bag and it could go out to the landfill. But then some poor cat's probably going to end up with some weird side effect. I don't know. I don't know. But I don't know. I, I would check with a pharmacy and see if the pharmacy's got it. Good advice. Yeah. Because they take your needles back, right? When you do the, um, like an insulin-dependent diabetic, aren't they the ones that you drop your needles off to? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not know. an insulin-dependent diabetic. I don't know. You're not a diabetic. I'm not a diabetic at all. That's a good thing. Yeah. And actually, it's about time for my annual lab work. I should probably get that oh. scheduled. I haven't had it done. Do you have to go to a doctor, or can you do it yourself? No, I, I, well, I just call him. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Christine Navajar. She's at uh, the 410 and Centerview Clinic. Oh, okay. Same clinic you go to. I've never met her, but yeah, that's where I go. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't really knock on wood. I don't need a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't take much in the way of medications. I take almost nothing, and so I don't bug her very often. In fact, I'm glad we're talking about it because I need to go in for my annual blood test. There you go. Fasting. There you go. And we'll check we that should out. go together. We could go together. Yeah, fasting though, boy, that makes me unhappy. Fasting meaning you don't eat after midnight. I know, that's but no I go to deal. bed at like nine, nine thirty. Do you really? I do. Yeah, I do. Huh. Eight hours of sleep. Seven, seven and a half to eight hours is what I need. We stay up way too late. Yeah, you text me at like yeah. f- six o'clock in the morning. Well, I get up early. Also. Yeah, but you don't go to bed early. No, no. I don't know how you have. Carter you always, have up. you always been that way? I did early morning radio, and I just boom, wake up. But, I mean, you only need six hours no, of sleep? No, I need more. I need more. 
And there's a study that says napping doesn't replace sleep deprivation. Uh, I'd like to yeah. see that study because usually in patients who can only get six hours, they need nap. more that they right. nap. But the deal is, is that lack of sleep affects everything and increases your likelihood of death because it stresses your well, body. We're all going to die. That's anyway. why I stopped wake, waking up and going to the gym at five thirty in the morning because I was getting up at four thirty and I wasn't getting eight hours. Oh. And so I finally just committed to getting eight hours of sleep. I feel so much better. I have so much more energy. So when do you go to the gym? Uh, I go to the six thirty class. <laughs> 6.30 a.m. Yeah, so I get up at 5.30, but okay. that allows me. So that's why I go to bed at 9.30. Interesting. Gives me eight hours of sleep. Well, the problem is we've become hooked on the late night uh, TV talk shows. Yeah, I don't, yeah. No. Yeah, they're funny. I, no, Jimmy Fallon is hilarious. I think he's one of and the Colbert is best even guys. funnier now. I just can't stay up that late. Yeah. And, yeah, about thinking get rid of cable. And then uh, Seinfeld at 11.30 on KBB. Reruns. They're still funny. They're reruns. Why are you staying up so late to watch reruns? Because they're very funny. Oh, my goodness. Wow. More in a minute. Right here on Well Men Radio on 930 AM. The answer. Carol Zorniel, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air. But what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS On Air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving right here on KLUP. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. So we're talking about side effects and challenges faced with uh, seniors, especially overindulging or even indulging in mixing medicines and alcohol. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Robin Eikhoff. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. And, Dr. Eikhoff, uh, some of the things that can happen unintentionally uh, and signals that indicate alcohol or medication-related problems, uh, for example, memory trouble after having a drink or taking medicine. Do you see that? Um, you know, it, that's a hard thing for me to answer because I have such a small snapshot of people and usually they haven't consumed alcohol when they come see me so it's a hard thing for me to really assess but it would make sense to me that uh, somebody who drinks you know a fair amount would have some memory issues certainly somebody who drinks a fair amount and has for a long period of time is at risk for alcohol dementia alcohol related dementia uh, and that is real and that does happen mm. and I've sadly seen it is it reversible no if you quit drinking no, no it's wow. not Loss of coordination, walking unsteadily, frequent yeah, falls. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's not exclusive to alcohol, of course. That's, right. Uh, it's any, medicine, too. Lots of medicines can do that. Um, and if you're taking various medicines that can do that, and then you compound that by drinking alcohol, um, that bathroom might be a lot farther away than you realize. <laughs> so a medicine that says uh, don't operate heavy uh, equipment yeah. when you're drinking or yeah, when you're using this? Don't drink. Yeah, don't drink. don't drink if you see that on the bottle. That's bad. Changes in sleeping habits. Yeah, right. Um, when you drink alcohol, that you don't actually enter REM sleep as much. And REM is the sleep where we feel refreshed. And um, anybody who has had a few too many one night and gets up in the morning and feels tired even though they slept, they didn't really sleep. It's not a good quality, wow. refreshing sleep. So, yeah, absolutely. That one's right on the money. The other night, deep in sleep, having wonderful dreams, I woke up because Lucy needed to get a pain pill. She woke me whining. Uh, and I figured, man, it must be like... One, two, three, maybe even five in the morning. I've been asleep for a half hour. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. And I mean, I, I was yeah. going to say maybe an hour or two. I've done that where I've, you know, been really, really sleep. Because, you know, when you first go to sleep at night, when you really, yeah. that's when you drop into the deepest right. level of sleep. And that's your stage four. Um, and that usually happens fairly quickly once you fall asleep at night. But, and so I've done that where an hour or two, I think, oh my God, it's probably like four in the morning. And you look and it's only like 1130. Made me like, happy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Say, wow, this is cool. Yeah, I actually, the the quality of sleep that I get now, I, I sleep pretty deeply and I don't move a lot now when I sleep. Really? I actually lay on, yeah, I sleep on my back most of the time and the cat sleeps on my leg. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, and on the weekends, the dogs sleep on the bed with me. Um, the, and they get weekend privileges. They do. They get weekend privileges because I have a comforter or, a, or oh. a coverlet that I pull up over the bed on the uh, weekends because uh-huh. I don't make my bed on the weekends. But during the week I do and it's too much, takes too much time to fold that thing back up every night. So, or every morning during the week. Yeah. One of our cats, Scrappy, sleeps under the covers, <coughs> curled up <coughs> next to Gina, under the covers, burrows. Yeah, that's nice. I think yeah. that's sweet. That is cool. Uh, my cat won't do that. Unexplained bruises. If you wake up and during the day you notice unexplained bruises. Yeah, that that's a tough one because, um, I mean, if you're a big drinker at night, then certainly that could be because you're unsteady and you run into things. But even if you're not a drinker, uh, you can wake up with bruises that you don't know where they came from because... As you get older, of course, your skin becomes much thinner. It's less of a protector. Uh, and so, you know, people say, I don't know where I get that. I get bruises all the time. And that can be, you know, um, and of course, a lot of folks are on aspirin, a baby aspirin a day, and that makes you more likely to bruise. Lack of interest in usual activities. Again, that's the effect, right, of the antidepressant or the depressant effect of alcohol. Yeah. And then, again, you have to ask yourself, is it due to, um, you know, are you self-medicating depression or is the alcohol causing the depression? If you think you have a problem, talk to your PCP. Yeah, even if you don't think you have a problem or someone it's else thinks better, you have a problem, right. right? Maybe if you consume alcohol, you probably ought to be honest with your provider and ask them what they think is too much. And if it's safe for you to even be consuming alcohol at all with the other medicines you're on. Thank you. Dr. Robin Eikhoff, WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll catch you again next Sunday. What time? 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You've been enjoying WellMed Radio, an exclusive presentation of WellMed Medical Management. Join us next week for more on your health and well-being. For more information on WellMed or to hear this broadcast again, go to wellmedmedicalgroup.com. We'll see you next week on WellMed Radio.